Praise the Lord. Well, have you have, if you have a Bible tonight, please turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. I just want to read four verses, four verses and uh, as a basis, and then we'll take most of our stuff from chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Praise the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, and it came to pass in the month Cheslu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and asked, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We trust tonight as always the Lord will bless the reading of his infallible word. Let's pray. Father, bless thy word unto our heart and glorify thy precious, precious name that thy word be a seed tonight and may it fall into the hearts of your people and may Christ be glorified, magnified and lifted up. We ask all these mercies in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Amen. According to Second Kings chapter 25, the, the Babylonians had ransomed the holy city of Jerusalem. They had destroyed and desecrated Jerusalem and carried away the children of Israel into captivity for 70 years. The walls of the city lay in ruins. The gates, the Bible says, were burned with fire. Those broken down walls and burned gates lay in silent testimony of Israel's shame and defeat. In our modern day cities, walls and gates mean very little. That's if you don't live in Northern Ireland. But in ancient Israel, walls and gates were very symbolic. It was said of the ancient, in the ancient world, a city without lofty walls and lock gates was not a city at all. And the, and the walls and gates in Nehemiah's day spoke of security. They spoke of strength, of separation, of safety, and also of salvation. Listen to Isaiah in chapter 26. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates of the righteous nation, which keepeth the truth may enter in. in Psalm 87 verse 2 says these words, The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glo- oh, glorious things are spoken in thee. And then David in Psalm 51 verse 18, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was a disaster area. Desert- Jerusalem was a Bible day, ground zero. The people of God were left indefensible and vulnerable. They were chicken feed for the enemy. Brothers and sisters, is that a picture of the church tonight? 
Is that a picture of the church, particularly in Ulster, where we come from? Is that the reason why we need a revival, an awakening, a move of God, an outpouring of the Spirit? Call it what you will. We need something to happen. We need a breakthrough. And this conference that Pastor Ken has arranged for three nights have been called the Awakening Tour Revival Conference. I like that. The Awakening Tour Revival Conference. And most of us have read about the 1859 revival which took place in Ireland, mostly in Northern Ireland, where they tell me that over 100,000 converts, people came to Christ, and there was miraculous happenings. And we have heard of the great Welsh revival in 1904 to 1905 when when it touched the rest of Britain, Europe, USA, Africa, Latin America and filled many churches for years. And indeed, the wonderful revivals that have been throughout history and indeed throughout the world, they were mighty, they were glorious, they were miraculous, they were life-changing outpourings, the things that took place. And we say tonight, to God be the glory. And our prayer is, Lord, do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it one more time before we leave planet Earth. Do it one more time before you come. And here in our Bibles tonight, we read of another revival in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. And tonight I just want to talk, I want to talk about revival, but not in a global sense, or not even in a national sense, but in a personal sense. A revival that takes place in your heart and in mine. You see, the word of the Lord says in Habakkuk 3 verse 2, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, remember mercy. And that's our prayer tonight. But it also says in Psalm 85 verse 6, Wilt thou not revive us again, us again, that thine people may rejoice in thee? But then again it says in Psalm 138 verse 7, Thy wilt revive me. Thy wilt revive me. Brothers and sisters, revival can start with you and I in our personal life. And because it started in the heart of a young man called Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a young, young captive of Israel. Nehemiah, as we heard in our reading tonight, he heard the walls and the gates of Jerusalem were broken down and lying in ruins. Now, Nehemiah wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a pastor. He was only a cupper. He was only a cupper. Somebody says a cupper is a glorified butler. Well, they're not really right. Because the cupper in those days was, had the ear of the king, as you found out in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. In fact, some of the cuppers were closer to the king than some of their wives. Because the, cup, the king would, would confide in the cupper and, and, and they would be very, very close together. But really, cupper, he was the king's taster. He would taste the king's food. He would taste the king's wine. Just in case anybody slipped in a Mickey Finn into the wine and it would be a case of, it would be a case of goodbye cupper and long live the king. That was, that was Nehemiah's job, so it was. And Nehemiah wasn't a prophet. He was only a man. But he was God's man. He was God's man. Listen, God has always a man or a woman for dark days. Do you hear me? Always. 
He never leaves himself without a witness. There's an old saying, men are looking for better methods, but God is, are, is looking for better men. Can I ask you tonight, sir? Can I ask you, brother and sister, Christ, are you God's man? Sister, are you God's woman? Are you God's woman? Are you God's man in your home, in your workplace, in your office, in your street? It only takes one man. Do you remember the risen Lord came to the, the Laodicean church and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then he says these words, If any man. It didn't say if the church committee do it. It didn't say if the leading pastors do it. It didn't say if a group of the, of the congregation do it. He says, If any man. God was looking for one man. If any man hear my voice and open the door. One person with God can make a difference. One person with God can make a difference. Brother, sister tonight, you can make a difference. Because you've got, as Pastor Rusty said, you've got within your heart and your life and your being a treasure. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of... We have got something in our bodies tonight. And you call it the mighty Holy Spirit. Nehemiah made a difference. Listen to him in verse 3. The remnant that are left of the, of the captivity in the province here are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Listen to this here and I love this. And when he heard these words, oh he could have said too bad, I saw it and I'm not doing with me. I'm a captive. I'm away well from home. I'm not doing with me. Let somebody else do it. No, listen. And when he heard these words, he sat down. I think he sat down because he staggered at it. He couldn't believe it. What? What? You know, you have to sit down just to calm yourself. He sat down and he wept. He wept. There's an awful lot of dried-eyed Christians about these days, brothers and sisters, including myself. Including myself. There's enough. We don't see the need and we don't feel the pain. We're doing what we're doing and we're getting on with life, isn't it? We're just getting on with it. But the Bible says, Nehemiah, he wept and he mourned. They could, lose, they could lose your mother or your father. He mourned certain days, not just the off day, days. Yeah. And it says these words, and he fasted. I don't know why he lost his appetite or he just, there's a difference. Paul said he fasted and he was hungry. There was a time when he had food and he fasted and then there's time he had, but his time he had no food, but he was hungry. You understand? So he prayed and he, and he prayed before the God of heaven. Listen, that's great ingredients for revival, isn't it? That's great ingredients for a move of God. But Nehemiah, although he was deeply spiritual, he was also intensely practical. And when when Pastor Ken asked me to speak on revival, I kind of hesitated. And the first thing that entered into my head was this guy, Nehemiah. I've never met him, by the way. I've lived with him for the last week, studying him and looking at him. And I wish that I could have bought a character study on him tonight. But you know what it got me? With these gates. Not just the wall, but with the gates. It's one thing having a wall, and the wall's fantastic, and it's maybe 50 feet higher, whatever, and strong, and bulwarks. The Bible talks about the broad wall and all that. But if the gates are not working, hello, what's the point? But it's these gates, the first thing, was these gates that were burned with fire. And when you read chapter 3 in Nehemiah, you'll find out that there's 10 gates. 10 gets 32 verses, and it would be, take very long to go through them tonight. 
But these were positioned strategically around the city of Jerusalem and they, like, like the walls, were lying in a pile of rubble. We need a revival in our rubble. We need a revival in our rubble. And these gates' names were symbolic. Now let's go cut to the chase here. The first gate we'll read about is in verse 1 of Nehemiah 3. It's called a sheep gate. The sheep gate. This is where it all starts. It all starts at the sheep gate. Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up and his brethren, the priests, and built it the sheep gate, and sanctified it. Now, the sheep gate was near the temple. It was where the lambs were brought in and slain and sacrificed. It was where the blood was shed, the innocent for the guilty. Isn't that a picture of of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, where John says, Behold the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain for us and our sins on the cross, shedding his precious blood at the place called Calvary. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. God, spotless lamb. And there's some of us here tonight, maybe, and we need a revival at the sheep gate. We need a revival in the things that we that first got saved. We need a fresh vision. And I often say this to myself, we need a fresh vision of Christ, what he did at the cross. We need a fresh revelation of the old rugged cross. Do you hear me? We need that because it's the old rugged cross that made the difference. It wasn't anything else. It was the old rugged cross that made the difference. Could I ask you all a wee question tonight, including myself? Have you been to the cross lately? Have you been to the cross lately? Have you, been, have you sat under the cross lately? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you been to the sheep yet? Have you taken a wee visit down in memory lane the night you got saved, the night you walked down the aisle, or the night you stood at your bedroom, or the day somebody pointed you to Christ? Have you forgotten all about that? Some churches today, they don't talk about the sheep gate anymore. They don't talk about the cross anymore. They don't talk about forgiveness or repentance or the blood or the atoning death. They talk about five steps to this and seven keys to that. They speak about the prosperity gospel. Brothers and sisters, this prosperity gospel will take you to hell. They talk about your best life now. This is not my best life now. I don't care whether you're living a horrible life or a happy life. It's not your best life now. It is your best life if you're not saved. But it's not your best, it's not your best life now. They don't mention sin or hell or judgment. They don't mention lost and found. They don't preach the gospel. They don't tell you that you need saved. They don't tell you what Pastor Rusty said tonight. You need to be born again. Born from above. Born again of the spirit. Cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. They don't tell you that. Do you remember the night you got saved? I remember the night I got saved. I heard about a wee woman one time. And she went to Westminster uh, Abbey. You know Westminster Abbey Church in London? London is it? And there was a wee guy at a tour going on. And the wee man was taking them round. He said, now this is where the Queen of England sits. And there's, where the, there's where the royal family sits. And there was the VIP and the who's who. And all the dignitaries. And there's where the MP sits. There's where the Prime Minister goes and his cabinet and all this here. And the windows with this and all the dates. And for, you know, he all the, give all the, you know, the details. And uh, later on he stopped and he finished, his, he finished his tour. And he says, has anybody any questions that would like to ask me? There was this wee woman in the crowd from Northern Ireland, probably from the Shankle. And she says, yes, sir, 
have a wee question I want to ask you. She says, Madam, go ahead. She said, has there any brother been saved lately? Has there anybody been saved lately? Brothers and sisters, has there anybody been saved lately? I'm glad I'm at a church tonight that preaches about the old sheep gate. Talks about being saved. Talks about being ready. Talks about getting right with God. Do you remember that night, sister? Do you remember that night, brother? You walked down the aisle. I remember it well. A long time ago, when I was 17 years of age, I heard about the second coming. And the minister said, listen, if you're not saved, what if Jesus comes? I didn't even know he came the first time, never mind the second time. But I knew. I was under conviction. And I was wearing a ranger blade, blade and, and beetle boots. Many people remember the beetle boots and the wrangler jackets and the jeans. And, and listen, there was na- had na- and a bit of tartan. I was in the tartan gangs and a bit of tartan here and a bit of a ranger flag there. And I believe, I believe that Je- if I hadn't got saved, Jesus was going to come. And if I didn't get, and if I did get saved, he wasn't coming. So I've held the second coming up for a brave while now. So, you know, but I went down that aisle. I just didn't lift my heart. I went down. Myself, my mates looking at me. I went down and reached the prayer line. And he says to me, what do you want? I said, I want to get saved. He says, do you mean it? And I says, I did. And that night, I prayed the sinner's prayer. And I gave my life to Jesus. And it was like, listen, it was like it happened last night. Hallelujah. I revisit it all the time just, just to keep me. That's where I first cast me anchor. That's where I first cast me anchor. Listen to me, listen to me. Do you love your salvation? Do you remember the night you've been saved? Or is it just a distant memory? Have you lost the thrill? Have you lost the joy of being a child of the living God? Am I talking to somebody tonight in this conference? And you need to rebuild the sheep gate. Unless you get a revival at the sheep gate, unless you get back to the cross, you will not have a personal revival because it always begins at the sheep gate. That was the first gate. I don't know if I get through ten gates here or not, but anyway. <laughs> it always starts at the cross. Amen. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light right. and the burden of my soul rolled away. It was there by faith Amen. I received my sight and now I am happy all at the end. Everybody said, hallelujah. Amen. And then there's another gate, Nehemiah chapter 3. It's the first three. I'll not go into the big names. There's, wish there had been Billy there or Jimmy or Gene or something, but all kinds of But this gate that needed repaired and revived was, it's called the sheep gate, or the fish gate, sorry, the fish gate. That's the gate that you go through after the sheep gate. That's next to the sheep gate, the fish gate. That's the sheep, that's the gate you go through after you come through the sheep gate. That's the gate that they bring the fish through in for the fish market. It was near the water. The fish gate speaks of testimony and witness. Jesus says to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The first thing when we do, listen, the first thing we do when we get saved, we tell others, don't we? We tell others, we tell our mums and our dads and our brothers and sisters, we tell our neighbours, we tell our workmates, we tell everyone, we tell the world what Christ has done for us. And I remember that night I got saved. And I, li- I lived in Mount Vernon and the church, the church was in the showroom. I walked up the, down, the York, down York Street, up Fort William and in the Mount Vernon. And it was a Sunday night and my old mum used to go to bed early on a Sunday night to read the newspapers. And I went into the room and uh, she was reading the wee newspapers, who she was. I don't know what it was, but she was reading anyway. And I sat down in the bed and I said, Ma, that's a form of endearment to you. I said, Ma, I've something to tell you. She says, what? What is it? 
I said, I got saved tonight. Give my life to Jesus. And she put down the newspaper, so she said, Nail glasses, no nail glasses. You'll keep it for a fortnight, son. Put the, put the newspaper up again. You talk about Barnabas encouragement? You'll keep it for a fortnight. And my, ma, my mother was usually writing everything, so she said anyway. But she was wrong that night. Because 51 years later, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, listen. Oh, what I tell you. What a, there's times, listen, there's times. Listen, I didn't keep myself, by the way. He keeps me. There's times he could have threw me away. There's times when I broke his heart. There's times I've disappeared. There's times when I've took it. There's times when I've made a mess of things. I've, I've shut myself in the foot and I've reloaded and do it again within the same actions. But he's always forgiven me. And he's always drawn to yourself. The face gate tonight, brothers and sisters, speaks of testimony. It speaks of soul winning. It speaks of reaching out. It speaks of reaching up. It speaks of reaching down to people where they are in their lives, the lowly, the drug addict, the prostitute, the people in need. It's always reaching, reaching around everywhere. How's your testimony tonight, sister? Brother, how's your testimony? You know your testimony is the only thing that you can keep by giving it away. Did you know that? The only thing that you can keep by giving it away is your testimony tonight in need of repair. See, this is, a, this is an old gate that had to work hard on, the, the face gate. Because when you lose your testimony, you lose everything. If you've got a testimony, listen, guard your testimony. What is your testimony? Your testimony is what, what your lifestyle, who you are, where you came from, where you're going. Guard your testimony. Don't lose your testimony. Lose your job. Lose your house. Lose your wallet. But don't lose your testimony. Am I speaking to somebody tonight? And through trials and struggles and circumstances, you've let the old enemy in. And you feel tonight that you've lost your shout. Well, if you've lost my shout, you've lost your, your clout. Maybe I'm speaking to someone tonight, and listen, you feel you've let the Lord down. Like the wee song says, someone tripped and fell. Was that song? Anybody let the Lord down recently? I let the Lord down every day, I think. Honest to goodness, I do, because I'm me. And that's why he's holding me. And I'm, he, people say, well, I'm holding on to the Lord. No, if I'm holding the Lord, I'm in trouble. He's holding on to me and he's holding on to you. Maybe you find yourself tonight, listen, in a state of lukewarmness and you're not what you used to be. You can remember, you can remember better days. An old boy one told, time told me, son, he says, you can remember better days. And you mightn't be in the world drinking and chasing, doing all the things you used to do. But if you can remember better days, to a certain degree, you've backslid. Huh? You've backslid. There's so many things. And you, you, you listen, you're lukewarm. You're wee devotional life. What's your devotional life tonight? You know, the most important thing in my life, and the most important thing in every believer's life, is their devotional life. You know what I'm talking about, a devotional life? Your time of prayer. Your time of reading the scriptures. Your time of waiting on the Lord. Your time of worshipping. And look, that's your devotional See, my devotional life, it keeps me sane. It keeps me sane. You think I'm mad now? You want to see me without a devotional life? <laughs> it's truth. Your devotional life. Do you invite people to church? You invite, when's the last time you said, listen, Jimmy, listen, Margaret, go to a service tonight. Go and have a wee cup of tea afterwards and all these sandwiches. Would you like to come? You know, as, our, as Pastor McConnell used to say, give them a wee bribe. <laughs> he used to say, the Lord will wink at it. <laughs> But get them, whatever you do, get them 
to church. Get them into the house of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, tonight, the Lord loves you. See if you're, see if you're struggling. See if you're struggling to face you're struggling with the Lord loves you. Can I ask you tonight, every one of us, as Pastor McCollum used to ask many times, and me too. When he asked me, I used to be in the dock. I thought I was in the dock. You know, in court, do you love him? And I'm sitting there, oh, I do love the Lord. And then he said these words, how much do you love him? Well, now that's a different story. How much do I love him? I do love him. Do you love him tonight? Do you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart? Listen, brothers and sisters, come here. Let's have revival at the fish gate. Let's have a revival at the fish gate. The Bible says, He restoreth my soul. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've came from. It doesn't matter what you've said. Listen, listen. He can forgive you. He can draw you to his lovely self. Let's have a revival at the fish gate. And then there's another gate moving on slowly. Uh, verse 6. It's called the old gate. Oh, I love this old gate. I, I spent a bit of time on the old gate. Huh? The old gate must have been around for a long time. The old gate. I'm glad they said the old gate. I'm glad they didn't say the new gate. There's a lot of new gates these days. There's a lot of, a lot of new saviors. A lot of new gods. A lot of new teaching. A lot of new doctrines. A lot of new saviors. A lot of new paths. A lot of new ways to get you to heaven. But let me tell you something. If they're all new, they'll get you to hell. They will get you to hell. We're living in a generation where everything's got to be new. New cars. New jobs. New clothes. New ideas. Somebody hits a midlife crisis and they, go, and they get themselves a new wife or a new husband, usually 15 or 20 years younger than them. Move on quickly there. But you, you ladies... You like a new coat, don't you? Why not? Many ladies like a new coat, like a new outfit, and again, I certainly. A new coat's great. I love getting my sheen a new coat, but you know the problem with it? See, when you get it, she wants, she wants new shoes, <laughs> and a new handbag, and a new hairdo, <laughs> and a new skirt, and a new blouse. Softest part about my sheen is her teeth. You know what I mean? And, uh, but it's nice to get new things. There's some things new and they're better than old. A new testimony, is, or new, te- new technology is better than old technology. New medicines are better than old medicines. A new car is better than an old car, isn't it? I love the smell of a new car. I can't get high on it, so would. I don't, don't mean a scent. You know. But you know what I mean? Smell of a new car. A new sound system and a new carpet in the church is better than old, isn't it? I love the idea of a new Jerusalem, Amen. a new heaven, Amen. and a new earth. You get a new car, and the year's time, just the novelties wear off. See new, see new Jerusalem, a new earth, a new, and, 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 and new heaven. You'll never get fed up with it. It's always new. You never get tired of it. So, you don't. so, yes, new is better than old sometimes. But when it comes to spiritual things, now listen to me, when it comes to spiritual things, Old is better than new. I like the old Bible. I like the old Bible. I like the old gospel. I like the old gospel. I I, I, I like the old hymns. Oh God, I help in the ages past. When peace like a river. Oh listen, you see if you're singing one of them's hymn and you're dying, you'll be alright. That'll comfort you. I like the old, old story. 
It is ever new. The old, old story. Praise the Lord, it's true that Jesus died for you, me as well as you. I love the old, old, I love the old fun, fundamentals. I love the old-fashioned meetings. I think I'm in an old-fashioned meeting tonight. Huh? Remember the old boy one time saying at an old-fashioned meeting in an old-fashioned place where some old-fashioned people had some old-fashioned grace. As an old-fashioned sinner, I began to pray and God heard me and he saved me in the old-fashioned way. Hallelujah. Call me old-fashioned tonight. But I love the old-fashioned way. Jeremiah the prophet talked about the old path. The old path. Brother or sister, are you still on the old path tonight? Amen. Or have you veered off somewhere to a new path? Huh? Have you got sidetracked? Were you distracted? Huh? Are you on the old path tonight? Proverbs says 22, 28 warns us not to remove the ancient landmarks. Ancient means long-standing, proven, because those landmarks will lead you to home. I heard people saying these days, let's move to the next level. Let's, let's move on. Let's move forward. Let's move on. I don't want to move on. I want to go back. I want to go back to the cross. I want to go back to the Bible. I want to go back to Pentecost. I want to go back to Christ. The Bible tells us in Genesis that Jacob dug old wells, his father's wells. He didn't dig new wells. And when Jesus sat and spoke with the woman of Samaria, where was it at? It was at Jacob's well. And notice, it was still giving water. The old wells were the best. There's not a lot of new, there's a lot of new wells about these days. And I think it was old R.C. Sproul says, if you don't preach about the old gospel, you'll end up preaching to a bunch of goats instead of a flock of sheep. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Oh, we need a revival. We need a move of God at the old gate. And brothers and sisters, always remember this. Should you remember anything else? If it's old, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Stick with the old gate, dear mate. And then let's, okay, for another gate. Let's move on around the city here. Verse 13 tells us of a gate called the Valley Gate. The Valley Gate. I think that's a familiar gate with us all, isn't it? They tell me that the greatest distance between the two gates, between any gates, is between the old gate and the Valley Gate. And every Christian, every Christian has a Valley Gate in their lives from time to time. A time of weeping, a time of sorrow, a time of crying. So don't let the televangelist tell you that you're always supposed to be up on the mountaintop. That you're always supposed to succeed and to prosper. That you'll never get sick and you'll always have money in your pockets. And you'll not have any trials or troubles. And if you do, you're not in God's will. Or you're sinning. Or there's something wrong with you. I wonder, have they ever read the book of Hebrews chapter 11? The heroes of faith. Eh? When they were hungry and thirsty. And, and, and naked and buffeted and no uncertain place to dwell when they were made of the filth of this world. I wonder if they ever read First Corinthians chapter 4 or Second Corinthians chapter 4. They were the, the scum of the earth of the world of believers. Have they never read of the formers of the, of the Scottish Covenanters? Have they never read Fox's book of Christian martyrs? And what about the Son of Man? One thing to be, become man. It was another thing to become man of sorrows. Man of sorrows. Brothers and sisters, there will always be valleys 
as well as the mountains in the Christian life. But remember this. You've probably heard a wee song. But the God of the mountain, he's still God in the valleys. Anybody on a, anybody on a valley tonight? Maybe you're like the psalmist in the valley of Baca. The word Baca means tears. The Bible says that, that we go through the valley. We don't park there. We don't pitch tent. We go through the valley of Baca. But the God of the mountains, he's still God in the valley. And the God of the good times, he's still God in the bad. And the God of the day, he's still God in the night. Amen. Everybody said, still God. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what's happening in Ukraine. Well, it matters. But all around the world globally, God hasn't dropped the ball. Hasn't dropped the ball. Never took his eyes off it. All things are working together for his glory and honor. Listen, valleys of discouragement, disappointments, valleys of pain. Maybe there's somebody tonight and you're sitting here, mean you're suffering, struggling, going through trials and heartaches, crosses and losses. Listen, the Christian saying is not a cushion. It's a cross. The Bible doesn't promise us a smooth journey. Remember the song years ago, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Along with the sunshine, there's got to be a little rain sometime. Well, God hasn't promised us a smooth journey, but he has promised us a safe arrival. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to a world, brothers and sisters. Let's cut to the chase. We're going to a world that's better than this one. Hallelujah. Huh? Amen. He believes it anyway. (laughs) Ken believes it. Amen. And every valley gate you go through, and every tear that you shed, and every heartache, every broken heart, one day you'll find out it was worth it. It was worth it. Because the Bible says in the Psalms, he puts our tears in a bottle and in a book. You know what for? To pour them out in blessings. And even, listen, when you go through that ultimate valley, what the psalmist talked about, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Is there somebody that you're going through a valley in your life, a spiritual one, a physical one, a mental one, a marital one? You're troubled, and it's all, it's all valley, valley, valleys. No mountain peaks, just valleys, valleys. If you're asking me, if someone's asking me tonight, Michael, I'm going through a valley, what advice would you give me? What counsel would you give me? When I go through this, experience this valley, no counsel I would give you. Go through it. Go through it. But I've fallen. Well, get up again. Get up again. As my big fellow used to say, keep her lit. Keep her lit. Next time you're down, sister, keep her lit. Brother, next time you're down, keep her lit. God may not lift us out of the valley, but he'll bring us through. Listen, listen to us. All things. Not just some things, not just most things. All things work together for good. Everything's in the mix. Everything. The happiness, the horribleness, everything's in the mix. All things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen to what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And sometimes we get that scripture wrong. So I hear people say, God, you meant it for evil, but God turned it around. God didn't turn it around. God meant it. He was in it. His fingerprints was all over it. For your good and his glory. You meant it for evil. But God 
meant it for good. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Huh? I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me and gave himself for me. Alexander White used to visit his patients so he didn't, he didn't stay very long. He just went in, in the hospital and he, and he just prayed to them. And then before he came went out, his thing was, before he opened the door, he'd, say, he'd give them a wee scripture. Say, yea, though, uh, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He'd say, sister, the Lord says I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And then he said these words, stick that on your tongue and sweet, suck it like a sweetie. That's <laughs> my Scotch. That's my second speak Scotch, by the way. Bilingual. But listen, that's what you do. You muse on it. It's a sweet morsel. As you do with the word of God. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Brothers and sisters, I know believers and they've died in the valley. They've died in a storm. They've quit. They've threw the backslid. They've given up. They've threw in the towel. They've put the white flag up. Listen, let's not become a victim in the valley. That's become a victor. And then the next time you go into the valley, you know you're beginning for? To get somebody out. Say, listen, I've been through there. Yes, I lost my parents. Yes, I lost my child. Yes, I had that. Yes, I got those tests. Yes, I'll bring you. Here's how you come through. That's why you go into the valley. Let's, brothers and sisters, let's have a revival in the valley gate. Okay? Another one? There's another gate. There's another gate. There's another gate. And it's found in verse 13. It's called the Dung Gate. I will not stay there too long. I must be. I must be. I, must, I wouldn't like to work there. Honestly. I'll do anything. Any gate. But not, not the Dung Gate. Now, the Dung Gate speaks of dung. Sorry, that's the Hebrew. That's the Greek. That's our bit. It's dung. Waste. Rubbish, toxins, poisons. See, there was no sewage system, no septic tanks, no sanitation or treatment system in Jerusalem. No, no treatment plants. And they had to carry the dung, the human waste of rubbish out of the city because if they hadn't let it lie, there would have been disease and death. So they took it out through the, the dung gate. And just like our physical bodies, if we don't get rid of the waste in it or the toxins in it, We'll get sick and we will even die. So spiritually speaking, if we don't get rid of the rubbish and the waste and the bad habits and the unchristlike spirit in our lives, some of us will die spiritually in a sense. And if some of us don't clean our lives up, with the weights and the sins that so easily beset us, we're going to die at best. We are not going to be our best. I know when there's rubbish in my life, when there's toxins in my life, when I'm being distracted, I lose my cutting edge. You can't work with both of them. You can't work with both of them. In fact, not only that, but, but sin, sin, brothers and sisters, sin stinks. Sin stinks, and sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. It affects your wife, your children, your marriage, your homes, your relationship, and your church. No wonder Isaiah says, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Now you're clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. 
when you like to be clean tonight, it's great when you get a shower and you have a hard day's work, maybe, and there's sweat. And get under a shower, into the bath. What, what, isn't it great? When you come out, you feel invigorated, don't you? Well, it's like, listen, that's like when, when you clean your life up and you just get a shower, you're through the dung gate and you get a shower and you're feeling great. Brothers and sisters, let every one of us be a sweet-smelling savour unto the Lord for all those around us. Let every one of us have a revival at the dung gate. There's another gate here. Do you still want to hear there, one? All right. There's a fountain gate. Verse 15. The fountain gate speaks of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. See, a fountain is active. It's always moving. It's fresh. It's bubbling. It's full of life. And the Holy Spirit is like that. He's fresh. He's dynamic. He's gushing. He's always moving. He's always active. He's always alive. Jesus said in John chapter 4, 14, But the water that I shall give him shall be in him, listen, a well springing up in everlasting life. Has the well been springing up lately, sister? Has the well been springing up lately, brother, in your life? John chapter 7, Jesus says, He that believeth in me, out of the, as the scripture has said. It's all to do with the word of God, you see, as the scripture has said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this back he of the Spirit. Listen, we will never have true victory in our lives without the Holy Spirit. We will never have true victory in our lives without the Holy Spirit. We will never have true joy or love, or peace, or faith. Pastor, how do you know? How do you know? Who told you that? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And I know we all go after the nine gifts. Don't matter what the nine gifts. There's nine gifts and there's nine fruits. Nine gifts. But see if you've got nine fruit gifts, you haven't got any fruits. Huh? Or if you've got the nine fruits, you haven't got the nine gifts. But if you've got the both three, if you've got the two of them, nine, the fruits and the, and the gifts, you're going to mount up. You're going to mount up. Brothers and sisters, let's have a revival at the fountain gate. Pastor McConnell used to say, there's no substitute for the Holy Ghost. I wish I had a pound every time he said that. No, right, Jude. Ruth. There is no substitute for the Holy Ghost. And that's the gate that you can't leave out. Paul says, be not drunk with wine, listen, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. God doesn't do half measures. Be filled with the Spirit. That word means, the verb means be filled. Be filled, be filled. Pastor, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit 10 years ago. Ask God to give you a refill. Need refilled again, you know that? Need a refill. One baptism, many fillings. Isn't that right, Ken? Let's have a revival at the fountain. Wouldn't it be wonderful tonight on our way home in the car or getting in the bed tonight or getting up in the morning and then in sleep, God waking you and filling you with the Holy Spirit again. Oh, he can do it to me anything. He can wake me anytime. Hallelujah. Let's have a, a revival at the flood gate, at the fountain gate. I'm going to do another one, okay? Let's move on to the next one. Next one is the water gate. The water gate. That's the gate that brought in the water. Water is a necessity of life. Remember, without water, we're going to die. You can do without food for a long time, but you can't do without water. And the water is a picture, a symbol of the word of God. Like I said, Jesus said, now you're clean through the word 
through the word. Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. You see, water for drinking is a picture of the Holy Spirit. But water for washing is a picture of the word of God. And we're living in days, we're living in days when the word of God, even in churches, is being set aside. It's out of date. It's, 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 it's not practical. Let's, let's keep it down to a minimum. The call these days is less preaching, more singing, more dialogue, more counseling, more sharing, more entertainment. Preach topical. Preach the wealth, health, and happiness gospel. Listen, listen. If Jesus should tarry for another hundred years, I pray that he doesn't. That old book will still say the same things. The water gate. It'll still seem and never change. It'll never change, brothers and sisters. That's why we need we need a revival at the water gate. Amos the prophet says there's going to be a famine. The Lord said a famine not of bread nor of thirst for water, but the hearing of the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to Peter, his last words to Peter was, "Feed my sheep." Didn't say entertain them. He didn't say facilitate them. He didn't say molly call them. He said feed them. And you see, when you feed your sheep and you feed your lambs, it's enough. The gospel is enough. Amen. The gospel is sufficient. It's not the gospel something plus, just the gospel. The gospel covers everything. He said, young, Paul said to young Timothy in the prison, when he's about to get his head chopped off, he said, Timothy, preach the word. In fact, he says, in the last days also, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Rusty will tell you, these are perilous days. These are perilous. This is as good as it gets. It's going to get worse. Nothing will get any better. These are perilous days. And they shall come, and they, and they shall come. For men shall be lovers of themselves. That's where it all starts. Me. Me. Not you, God. I can be a man when I want. I can be a woman. I, need, I can do it. I can do my own thing. Men shall be lovers of themselves. Covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy, without natural affection, truth speakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Paul, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer to war and strife? What's the answer to the gender problem? What's the answer to cancer and COVID and coronaries? What's the answer to abortion? Here's the answer. Preach the word. Preach the word in season, out of season. As we man down the country says, only preached. I only preach twice a year. He said, what? Twice a year I preach. In season and out of season. <laughs> and you know he's right. In season and out of season. Repuve, reprove, rebuke, extort with all long suffering. Praise the Lord that the Lord of the word and the word of the Lord it's preached in this tent. Some tent, isn't it? Amen. The bishop used to call us the sawdust trail when he had a tent. We used to go around and probably a tent. There's not much, too much sawdust in here. The nature in that, bro. You're all swanky and all now. You're going up in the world. Remember, go through. Remember, Linda, go through there. Norma, go through there. The water and all. Oh, they were the great old days. They were the great old days. Thank the Lord there's a water, a water gate in this church. It's fresh. The water gate in Nehemiah's day must have took a pattern. Are still standing. Must have been attacked from all sides, within or without. And by the time you get to Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to tell you, it's still standing. Hallelujah. The word of God will stand at the grave of the mainstream media. You hear me? Because a lot of all this stuff, COVID and all, and I know it was bad because I had it. 
I wouldn't like to do it my worst enemy. But listen to me. The media has an agenda. It's got an agenda. And one day the word of God will stand at the grave of the mainstream, the mainstream media. But I want to notice you something about, about this water gate. It's different from all gates. Well, the difference is it didn't need fixed. It didn't need repaired. Why? It wasn't broken. Maybe the guys who preach it are broken. Maybe the guys who preach it maybe need fixed or repaired. But that's the word. Doesn't need repaired. The word of God, the Bible, doesn't need repaired. Doesn't need tweaked. Doesn't need improved. There's nothing wrong with it. We haven't got a message that evolves. We don't need to change our message to make it relevant. It's relevant. It's more up to date than tomorrow morning's newspaper. It just needs to be preached, expounded, obeyed, loved, and read, and cherished, and listened to. Lord, touch our spiritual taste buds tonight. Touch our spiritual taste buds. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Read the book this week. It was Brother Stott, John Stott. And he said these words, evil. Somebody asked him what evil is. And he says, evil is tasting God and, have, and, and, and desiring something else or preferring something else. Evil is tasting God and preferring something else. Brothers and sisters, let's have a wee revival, a move of God at the water gate. Have you read your, have you read your Bibles that day? Huh? I looked at the bases. I keep mentioning the bases. I looked at the bases one day. You know what it was like? Red, pink, yellow. It was like a Gilux paint chart. That's the truth. Read your Bible. Brothers and sisters, have a deep well and drink long. I remember one time seeing an outboard and his Bible was all busted. And I thought of what, what C.H. Spurgeon said. A man whose Bible is coming apart you know that he's not coming apart. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, amen. Oh, come on, it's beautiful. Brothers and sisters, we need a revival at the water gate. And then there's the horse gate. That's for battle. And then there's the east gate. That's the coming of the king. I'm going to go on here because I know he's got to get to church in the morning. Here comes the last gate. We call it the Medford gate. It's the last gate. Med- Medcalf gate means inspection or muster. Or appointment gate. That's the gate the soldiers go through. And the armies go through after their battle. And the CEO would go up and down the ranks and inspect the troops. Can you see him? Looking at them after the battle. That's why they call it the inspection gate or the midfield gate. Brothers and sisters, one day all of us will stand at the midfield gate. The Bible calls it, the New Testament calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Or the Bema seat. And the Apostle Paul says, we shall all appear. I remember sitting with a couple of pastors one day, and there's this wee woman. We're talking about God's judging people. You know, the beam of seat and all. And uh, this wee woman goes by, and she's 90 years of age. God love her. And she, you know, and they say, somebody said, how is God going to just judge that wee woman? She's a wee woman. Look at the state of her. And the boy beside me says these words, and never forget it. He says, Pastor, she wasn't always 90 years of age. She used to be 16. 
and 25 and 35. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every saved, every redeemed, every ransom, every blood blot, every blood washed. And our CO, our commander in chief, the governor of the, the governor of the universe, the ruler of the nations, the landlord of this world. And he's not an absentee landlord, by the way. He's active. The high king of heaven, the captain of our salvation, the head of the church, the crucified, resurrected Lord of glory. He will be inspecting the troops and giving out the rewards for faithful service. And he's going to say to us, have kept on going. Fell down and got up. Got up and fell down. He's going to say, well done. I good and faithful. I didn't say successful. Some of them are not successful. I'm not successful. But thy good, well done, thy good and faithful son. And he'll give out some crowns. And I count it in the Bible, there's five crowns. The crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing. And listen, brothers and sisters, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Are you ready to stand before the mid-fad gate? Are you ready? Notice, notice, it's the last gate. The Bible says after death, the judgment. Are you ready to stand before it, whether he comes or calls? Brothers and sisters, let's have a personal revival, revival before we get there. I need a personal revival before I get there. Martin Luther said he had only two days on his calendar that he was concerned about. This day and that day. And let's be concerned only about two days, this day and that day. Because one day we will look and we will see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, it'll be worth it all. Do you hear me? It'll be worth it all. And that's be finished. One we thing, the very last verse, verse 32, mentions the sheep gate again. Comes round the full circle. The sheep gate. It was the preachers. Notice, it was the priests and the preachers and the servants of God that built this gate. In other words, servants of God should not ask their people to do things they're not willing to do themselves. Leaders lead by example. And it's not how many people that can serve us, it's how many people that we can serve. And under every robe of a leader, every robe of a pastor, there's always an apron of a servant. And you don't get, get the anointing while you're being served. You get the anointing while you're observing. Notice something about the sheep gate. There's no locks and there's no bolts on the sheep gate. All the other gates have bolts and locks, but there's no bolts or gates on the sheep gate because that's for the whosoever will can come, can come. There's no locks or bolts on salvation. In fact, God is so accessible and approachable, he comes after us. He came after us. It was the greatest rescue mission the world has ever seen. The Bible says he's come to seek and to save. So he does. So it seems to be that, our, that the Holy Spirit in his word has taken us the full tour around the walls of Jerusalem. The full circle. And I'm finished now. Started at the sheep gate. And landed at the sheep gate. It's an all-rounded Christian life. It started at the sheep gate. It ended at the sheep gate. It started with the Lord Jesus Christ. It ended with the Lord Jesus Christ. It started at the cross. It will end with the cross. It started with the blood. It will end with the blood. It began with the lamb. 
And they'll end with the Lamb in heaven. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the end and the end. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the captain of our salvation. And he that hath begun a good work in you, sister, brother, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Here's my last words. Brother, sister, look at me. Look at me, every one of you. I don't know you, but look at me. God is not finished with you yet. You hear me? God has not finished with you yet. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Every one of us, look full in his wonderful face. The Hebrew writer says, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If you're not looking on to Jesus, if your eyes are not on Jesus, it must be on something else. And if it's in something else, then it is a wasted glance. It's a wasted gaze. Keep your eyes upon the Lord, no matter what comes. Because keeping your eyes upon the Lord is the difference between rut and revival. And all God's people say it. I'm wrapping it up. God bless you. And thank you for listening to me so long. Appreciate it, Pastor Ken.